In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Jim Huffman about how to build a growth strategy for your e-commerce business. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 53. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski, and I'm here today with Jim Huffman. Jim is the author of The Growth Marketer's Playbook, the number one new release on Amazon in marketing. He is also the co-founder of a growth agency, Growth Hit. Jim also serves as a growth mentor for Techstars, a startup accelerator. I asked Jim on the show today to talk a bit about how to build a growth strategy for your e-commerce business. So hey, Jim, how are you doing today? Good. Happy to be here, Charles. Yeah, it's great having you. I, uh, I love this topic, so I'm super interested to <laughs> ask some questions here. It, um, it's very near and dear to my heart, so thanks for coming Absolutely. on. Absolutely. So I guess to get started, what when you say growth, um, I feel like that's kind of a, a broad, you know, fun new term everyone kind of uses different ways. Um, how exactly do you define that? Yeah, that's a good question because you could easily inflate growth by running some paid ads and getting traffic to the side. So you have that pretty graph that goes up and to the right. Um, for gro- Whenever I'm thinking of growth um, with e-commerce companies, usually I'm thinking of something that's you know sustainable um, and repeatable. So you, you found a channel for getting quality traffic. Um, and that could be a free channel or maybe it's a paid channel, but it's an ROI positive paid channel. Um, and the traffic that's coming in, you can actually convert that traffic into customers um, at a reasonable conversion rate. So usually with e-commerce sites, you know, that's over 2% if you're selling products between 50 to 300 bucks. Um, and unless you're in the acquisition game, um, you actually also have good retention. So you're able to get good repeat purchases in under say 90 days. Um, so whenever I'm like first looking at an e-commerce company, that's one thing I'm trying to look at. It's like, okay, is the traffic healthy? Do we have a decent conversion rate? And then what does reactivation look like? Um, and so if all those things are working, what is our growth trajectory, right? Is it 7% month over month? Is it 20% month over month? Um, so based on those unique economics, how things are trending. So that's one thing that I'm thinking about when I'm like looking at, okay, is this growing at the right rate or what is our, our growth goal with this company? Okay, so then I guess the question would be when you say, so you're the co-founder of a growth agency, Growth Hit. Um, the difference between something like that and an actual like advertising agency versus coming in just like, hey, help us run some, you know, Facebook ads and paid ads sort of thing. What would be the, what's the difference between just someone running ads in a growth agency? Like yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I kind of position it as, you know, you have traditional marketing, which is advertising, and they're really just focused on top of the funnel. Um, and there's some companies that do that extremely well, where it's like, okay, our main goal is to deploy X amount of dollars per month and bring in quality traffic or get impressions or engagement. So that's just top of the funnel. Um, we look at it from the perspective of growth marketing, where it's the entire funnel. So we're on the hook. We're responsible for not just bringing in quality traffic, but are we getting them to do that next activation step, which could be creating an account, signing up for an email list, whatever that is. And then also we care about, you know, what does that email onboarding look like? Uh, is the retention good? And then the most important thing is bottom of the funnel. Are we turning this traffic into customers where they actually convert 
And if you have all of that working, then you get into the most important thing in marketing or the most powerful thing, and that's referral marketing. That's when you turn a passionate customer into a marketer. So we're looking at that full funnel, trying to understand, okay, where can we optimize and where can we make everything in the funnel run as efficiently as possible? Because paid ads are great, especially if you just raised a round of funding to help you kind of get some growth. But at some point, it's going to flatline. And it's and right when you turn that off, the traffic goes away with it. So you want to start building some things, whether it's an email list, building your organic traffic, or build your attention strategy so you're not as dependent on paid ads. So that's kind of the goal we're looking at when we're saying that we're this growth agency that's looking at the the full funnel. Okay. I've always... um. I've always liked the term when they talk about tofu, top of the funnel, mofu, middle of the funnel, and bofu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I always like the term. Um, so you're more looking at, you know, not just the top of the funnel, but the metrics going from the top to the middle, from the middle to the bottom, and then post-sale. And like, you're not just running traffic to the top. You're more thinking about how does someone move through and what are those percentages and how does it affect revenue sort of thing. So kind of the whole the whole funnel, not just a piece of it is kind of the, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Another way I like to position it is we like to say that we take a customer centric approach to what is the customer journey from just hearing about your brand. If that's through a friend, word of mouth marketing or an ad all the way to becoming this power user or loyal um, advocate of the brand. And so really trying to understand that experience because I mean, more and more people want brands that are authentic, want brands that are very transparent, um, and they want to feel like they're a part of that entire journey and ride. So that that's something we try and factor into the entire marketing experience. Yep. Now, I thought about not sure about asking this question first or towards the end, but it might be important to kind of mention like when, who is ready for this and who like when in the life cycle of a company should you be looking at, all right, we want to like pour some gasoline on this. Is this something, you know, cause you, there's a lot of people at the beginning on, I just launched my store. How do we grow sort of thing? But that's probably not, I'm guessing like the right time. Like when do you know, all right, we got this figured yeah. out now let's, you know, let's try to scale. Let's go up into the right. Yeah, that's our question. And I've been, I've made the mistake too, or I've been in denial and I've done that before. It's like the site's ready. Let's do this. Let's spend some money. Let's make some money. And then it's usually a big failure. Um, and so, I mean, you, you've heard the phrase, you know, product market fit. It's like, do you have something that the market is really excited about? It's either significantly better than what's out there, or it's just something that's different and unique. Everyone puts a lot of pressure on themselves to be better and be the best. Sometimes just being different and something that has its own little twist is good enough to kind of get people excited. So um, how do you know if you're ready for growth? It's like, do you have this thing that is product market fit? And so how do you measure that? So there's some quantitative and qualitative ways to do it. If you have people writing in, talking about how excited they are about what you're doing, they're following up after they make a purchase, they're telling their friends without even asking, um, you're on to something. And usually you can see this in the numbers where maybe you have a really just bare bones product detail page, but it's already getting conversions and you don't have videos on there or testimonials. It's very basic and you're already getting conversions at a good conversion rate. Um, you're on to something. And I've, I've seen companies that have been before and after product market fit and the ones before, um, 
you're in denial. You're, you think you're like on the cusp of it, but you're always like one thing away. Like, oh, if we just had better images, this thing's going to go up. If we could just get better traffic, this thing's going to go up. Um, but really, it's maybe it's the, the core of your product. Maybe it's how you're positioning it. Maybe it's something bigger like pricing. Um, whereas ones that have it, you're running out of stock. You're running, you can't keep up with inventory. People are making all types of requests. So um, looking at it from the numbers, looking at it from the anecdotal feedback you're getting from customers tells you, are you ready to start growing? Because if you're at that point where you already have a de decent conversion rate and people are excited about what you're doing, then it's worth shifting your mindset from product development optimization to growth. Like how do we scale these things that are working? Um, how do we start spending money on top of the funnel? Because we know that our bottom of the funnel is going to work to convert um, really well. Yeah, I've seen and been on both sides of that before where there's points where you're trying so hard just to, you know, get anyone to pay attention to you. Then there's been other things where, you know, just kind of started talking about something and people are like, yes, yeah, it like very into it. And you kind of know, all right, this seems like to be something here where <laughs> we're not, we're not even like ready to sell it yet, but people like want this thing. And that's how you, it's kind of this feeling you get of, all right, this is something interesting. Oh yeah, totally. And you look like a much smarter marker when you can work with a brand or company that has that traction or product market fit. Um, cause the best marketer, it's still hard to sell something people don't want. Um, so yeah. The other side of it too, um, that might be worth mentioning is just not just, do you have something that people want, but then can you actually get it to them and like fulfill that correctly? Um, so for example, like customer service, like kind of the back of that, the whole rest of it, right? Where let's say you have an e-commerce site, you might've just launched. If you sell, you know, a thousand orders today, you're going to get X number of customer service requests. Can you even like answer those? Like, are you even set up to support that level of growth just yet for the whole entire business process? Um, I feel like that's another thing kind of, you know, but, under, but under really understanding that, you know, that that's a really good point. And we've run into that issue before. It's like, okay, we think people want this, but we know we can't get the product to them in X amount of days. And everybody's used to Amazon and having it in two days. And our customer service team is, is me or whatever that is. And so a lot of times we would even do pre-sales instead of regular sales, just to put that mindset that like, Hey, we're not ready to give this to you yet, but we, but people were willing to give money. And so that totally changes their mindset and it lets them know that, okay, I'm going to get this later and I shouldn't expect it within one to two days. Um, so that's another thing I give to companies that have that traction, but aren't set up to really deliver on great customer service or, or great um, fulfillment. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, right? Where I've bought stuff before where they blatantly said like, you're not going to get this right away. And I've, and like, I've wanted it so badly. I've actually still said, I'll give you my money. Just keep it for a little while. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I think, yeah. Oh, sorry. I think it was the gravity blanket on Kickstarter. You know, the blanket that weighs like yeah. 20 pounds you put on yourself. They did pre-orders of like $5 million and I think they had five blankets that they made. So um, yeah, they, they, they had a lot of people pre-ordering that one. I've been on that side before where I just want it so badly. I'm like, just take the money. And when you're, when you're ready, <laughs> you can give it to me. Um, I'll, yeah. <laughs> but then there's, you know, before the call, um, I just bought a USB thing for this machine to hook it up to this other thing. And I expected to come in two days. Like this isn't something it's not something I'm super excited for. I just need this little USB dongle thing and that's different. So I'm not going to pre-order that, but yeah, that space blanket. 
maybe I want one of those and I'm willing to wait a few weeks or even a month. Um, or a simple example, like a Kickstarter, right? People very knowingly give, give money and they might not get a product. They might not get a product period, but they also might not get it for six plus months and people are okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about priming them. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Just setting the expectations to be reasonable and then people, and then the, as long as you're telling them that upfront, people are the right sort of people will make those purchases as long as they understand. Um, so they, are, you're not being like, um, you know, shady in any way. You're actually just setting reasonable expectations and then everyone understands like this is, you know, we're going to give this at some point, but not right now. I like, so I like that idea actually. Um, so then now let's say you're ready, you have a product people want, um, but you want to sell more and you have some sort of process, right? You know, you can bring people in the front door, sell them once they're there, fulfill that product, support that product. You can do the whole thing. How do you, what's the first step to saying, all right, we're ready to grow. What do we do next? Yeah. Um, one thing I like to do is just before I like dive in, I want to know what's going on in the industry, what's going on with the competition. And most importantly, what are my customers doing online? So let's take, for example, let's say we're launching a men's brand and we're trying to compete with Bonobos. Um, I would take their URL, I drop it into similarweb.com. There's some other tools out there where it just shows you how much search, how much volume they're getting of traffic, where that's coming from, their top platforms, what their ads look like, what keywords they're going after. And as I'm going through that, you'll see that I think like 15% of their traffic's coming from social. And the interesting part about that is that their top social channel is Reddit. So right away, it's like, okay, that's interesting. Obviously, Facebook and Instagram are big, but they have a big community on Reddit. Um, you then go to Reddit, and you see the conversation around their clothing, and they're talking about the quality of it, the durability, how they're wearing the pants, where they're wearing the pants, um, really care about the details, aren't price sensitive, want quality, and they like to geek out on it. Um, so if I'm selling a product that's a higher price point, I know exactly where my potential customers are and I know what they care about. And what, what's nice for me is if I can really visualize the person and put myself in their shoes, I'm gonna be a much better marketer. I'm gonna have a lot more ideas for the entire funnel on how to add value to them because I understand what they care about and those points of friction that could be in their way. So um, it's obviously understanding you know, what the competitors are doing, what's working, what's not working. And with an industry like this, you know, it's men's fashion, you should have fairly good repeat purchase if you have an, enough variety of inventory options, if it's pants and shirts and socks. Um, so I'd also want to understand, you know, what is the regular cadence or replenishment rate for getting these products? How many transactions should I be doing in a year, um, in a month, right? Because if you're selling men's clothes, you could probably do a transaction every month, every quarter, depending on the person. Whereas if you're selling Christmas trees online, you're doing one transaction a year. Um, so that totally changes what you care about as far as email marketing versus acquisition marketing. Um, so once I understand the industry, the company, um, I'm getting into those customers. And so we know that there's a certain persona that cares about quality, that cares about fit. Um, what else are they doing online? Maybe they're also going to Cool Hunter to research gadgets and whatnot. Um, so maybe there's opportunities that there for partnerships or just hitting up influencers that also review other types of products. Um, so right away, before I even go into my growth plan, I'm at least informed on what's happening 
um, in this market. So I can either choose or not choose uh, to do things that our competitors are doing. So it's kind of a way of um, just giving yourself a head start before you start wasting money or time um, on on things that you don't have a background story on. Yeah, I feel like knowing the customer, like knowing, they always talk about it, but really like understanding like who they are is that like crucial for a step where I think people, the step you're talking about, a lot of people just skip over this. They just kind of go, okay, we won't, yeah, yeah, we know the customer. Let's, let's go, let's do this. But really like, like really knowing it is different than just saying, you know, it like, and it's hard to quantify exactly that and how important that is. And I've done this too. And just kind of like rushed into it and said, no, 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 I, I kind of get it. Okay. Let, let's, let's go to the next step. Let's start running some paid ads. Yeah. But really like, but understanding, okay, like you said, do they care about quality or do they care more about price? And like something like that right there actually changes a lot, like changes a real lot. Um, and knowing that you can't market to those two people the same way, or even maybe at all, like it might be, if you care, if you're going after the quality market, the price market's pretty much out, like you're not going to talk to them or vice versa. If you're going after the price sensitive market, you can't, you can't go after quality, at least at that first time you have to pick one. And really go after that like very specific type of person, type of buyer. I think people skip over this stuff um, quite often. Yeah, I, I and this is something we always try. We'll spend like two weeks on this, and you're exactly right. Especially clients are like, "Let's go, let's go, let's do this, let's do this," and we're like, "We don't understand your customer at all. We've got to do this because." Those decisions early on drive everything from the language you use to get in front of them, the assets you use about what they care about, and it can have a, a big impact on how they perceive your brand. So yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It, it's so easy to just skip past this, blow past this, but it, it's it's pretty crucial. And no matter how much we say that right now, people are gonna hear this and they're gonna skip past. <laughs> like, absolutely, yeah, they're they're already fast forwarding. Yeah, yeah they're they're already just hitting that fifteen second. <laughs> think, um, I've done it too, and I know. And if you're listening, don't yeah. do that. It just take a minute, just take a little bit of time here, slow down, and just and maybe like if you're trying to do this too, just even like writing it down and just. But really, um, I heard of one company one time. They kind of do this like avatar thing where they name each person, and it felt a little goofy. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of get it. Where you really want to like, this is this is the person. He's a you know a male. He's this old. He, you know, is employed here. These are the sort of clothes he likes to wear. These are the sort. This is a music he listens. Whatever. But you really have like an idea of like a, a very specific person, like this actual one person, and then you kind of like build it from that concept is kind of how I've realized. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we do an abbreviated version of that, but I, I totally know what you're saying with the names. Cause you're like, wait, this is uh, you know, Joe urban liver that yeah. loves whatever. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So if they didn't skip past it, if they actually went through that process, <laughs> so not to skip past that question, but let's say somebody actually went through this process of really understanding, you know, urban Joe um, and, they're ready now to actually like, all right, let's talk to that person. What do they do from there? Yeah. Um, so it's like choosing what are the channels that you should focus on and where you can speak with them. And really your business model and your resources drive that. So maybe you raise a $2 million round and you've earmarked you know, 40, 50 grand a month to spend on advertising. So you, you know you have paid channels or maybe... You launched a Shopify store yourself 
and it's money out of your pocket. So that's deciding, are you doing free channels? Are you doing paid channels? So if you're going, we can get into paid channels in, in a second, but with free channels, it's like, okay, what are your options? You know, obviously you could, you know, go for organic traffic, optimize your site for SEO, make great pages that go after those keywords, build up your backlinks. Also, what are you doing to be scrappy? Um, one thing that I like to do is, you know, let's say we're, the, we're that men's clothing brand sticking with that example. And we know that people that care about quality are people like that are over the age of 30 and have decent jobs. You know, we could go after accountants, people in tech, lawyers, um, whatever that is. We could find every single meetup group, forum, Facebook group or organization that caters to this, like the Young Entrepreneurs Association, um, Happy Hour, the I think it's like uh, Geeks That Drink or whatever. And, you know, how can you actually reach out to them and do some sort of a partnership or add value with them? Um, do those things that don't scale early on, because actually you can do something really powerful and you can introduce people to your product the right way to where they turn into marketers. And that is something that you cannot do later on as you're trying to do bigger things that scale. Um, so really like what are your options based on your resources and where are your customers online and offline and how do you get in front of them? And I, I can even, I can get into like a full blown page strategy and what we would do there, but I actually like starting with some of the, the scrappy stuff that, that doesn't scale. So when you say scrappy stuff that doesn't scale, like what are we talking here? Um, is this just SEO or is there some other things, some other tactics? Yeah. So it's definitely like if, if you're a founder, um, what, cause so many people, especially if a brand or selling something online, people care about authenticity. They care about transparency. What are you doing to put yourself out there to show that in the form of blog content, writing on medium through your social content and actually putting in that effort to make content yourself. Cause maybe you can't use it. Uh, you don't have the budget to do photo shoots or make great videos. So it's about making co content that is authentic and genuine. Um, so that's one component of it. Um, the second is obviously, you know, like going all in on SEO and trying to own every keyword in your industry. Um, the third thing is when I talk about being scrappy, it's what is that hand-to-hand -hand combat you're doing as far as reaching out to people for partnerships, which would be um, actual email outreach if you're doing it or having a virtual assistant help you do that. Um, if it's trying to partner with all those different types of groups and organizations by getting in front of them. And the other thing to keep in mind, I think it's like 80% of transactions are still happening offline. So many of these big consumer brands that we know of today that are direct to consumer that sell online, they started by going to trade shows, going to craft fairs, doing pop-ups and just getting in front of people. Um, so doing those things in addition to things that scale, um, I usually see that as a recipe for success when I'm seeing founders uh, that are trying to grow. They're not afraid to roll up their sleeves and, and put in the, uh, the hard work. Yeah, I've seen that before, people just heading off and they're trying to basically like, um, like outsource every part of the business. Um, and not just like, not just like outsource, but like hand off responsibilities to people outside their company, to people outside like that core team. Um, and you usually can tell from the outside, like if you're really, if you're trying to hand off all responsibility and said, no, 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 we outsource this, this agency, they're going to take care of it a hundred percent. We don't worry about that anymore. I feel like that's like a, a bit of a red flag. 
Oh, totally. And like you like Bombas socks started at the pop up flea. Warby Parker, they started selling in their little uh, New York office. People going up and down the elevator. They got kicked out of the building. Uh, what is it? Tacovas boots. They were going to like truck shows selling their boots. And these are all brands we look at as amazing online e-commerce brands because they are. Um, but they weren't afraid to start off offline um, and put in the work and try and just like put the product in front of people. Yep. So even if you're starting on the kind of, so first actually a good point to make is this isn't like a, a budget dependent thing, right? It's not if, you, if you're spending 50,000 a month versus, you know, 500, this isn't like a, like, okay, you have to be spending at least 10,000 a month to even like top, you know, to even start looking at growth strategy. This is something at any budget you can, at least start in the process, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And it's almost like you're kind of doing those two things in tandem because they absolutely complement each other. Because you do want people in a good way to feel like, wow, these guys or girls, they're everywhere. You don't want to inundate them and give ad fatigue, but you want to be kind of top of mind when they're thinking of the category. And I think when you do those two things together, um, it, it can work pretty well. Yeah, that whole top of mind, that takes, I feel like that takes a wild start getting because then you start showing up in other places with other people talking about the same thing. And like you said, someone's looking through um, Reddit and they see your name also in the forum. And that's when it actually starts to be like, okay, these people are like, I'm seeing this like name again and again, they must be actually doing this. Um, versus when you're just adding off, like, who are these people? You go to the about us and it's like, you know, this like templated cryptic thing. You're like, eh, I don't know. Like first, once you really, like you said, some of the Warby Parker, Everyone knows them now. They're everywhere. They're, they have a thing in the mall here. Um, so they've really become like a, a name that you recognize. Yeah. Yeah. And like with Allbirds, I bought some Allbirds shoes, but it probably took me, I don't know, seven to 10 interactions before I pulled the trigger because I kind of heard about it, you know, just because I follow that stuff with startups. And then um, they did some pop ups. I saw some people wearing them that I know. And then they like, they were at Nordstrom and I ended up buying them online. But it, it took me that long to find like, okay, I should probably check these out. Yep. Yeah. They, there's some number, right? Where it takes X number yeah. of interactions. Um, and it's surprisingly high. And it's not just like you said, like blasting people with Facebook ads. Um, it's like interactions in different places, even like display ads on some industry site, like you said. Um, and it's like, you, they almost need to see stuff that's not connected, not just all Facebook ads or all this or all that. They need to see different things. But if you know that group, even if you're at a small budget, you're able to advertise a little a little bit or just be in different places, um, be in a lot of different places for a limited number of people, um, which kind yeah. of sounds like the goal. I, yeah, you hit it on the head. And it kind of scares me because I'm always we, we run quite a bit of paid ads on social and Facebook and Instagram. And we're always looking at frequency, like how many times are we in someone's feed over a month? And the scary thing is the higher that number goes, the better our, our ROI is. Because I'm always worried about ad fatigue and inundating people too much. But um, yeah, it, it kind of blows my mind. Yeah, on how high that you can push that number and it's still actually, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard some pretty, high, yeah, some pretty scary numbers. And it's <laughs> like, on even in like a week, and but then yeah. I've been on the other side too, where I've had the same companies just hit me up time and time and time again. And then when I do need that product, I it might not even be that week. It might be they hit me ten times in a week, and then six months from now I need that product, and I actually think of them as oh they're they're the people. Um, I don't know. 
I don't know why I connected that with that silly Facebook ad I got, but it actually like works, which is, and even as someone who knows it still works, which is bizarre. Um, it's almost more frustrating. Yeah. yeah it's frustrating because it works. Um, <laughs> okay. So then once you kind of know these things, it, where's the measurement portion of kind of the growth come in? Like, cause that's the other essential component, not just like running the ads, not just running traffic or running the tactics, but actually like understanding how they impact the, the whole funnel and the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, what are those growth goals for a company? It's obviously like if you took on venture funding, you're going to have very growth, very aggressive growth goals of 10 X, probably whatever you raise. Whereas if you're bootstrapped, maybe your goals aren't as aggressive and it's more about building a sustainable business that supports your lifestyle, which is also awesome. So, um, another thing that as far as the benchmarks that we're looking at, um, really we have two, um, one is number of new customers that we're acquiring each month, because that's kind of tip of the spear whenever we're trying to grow, because that feeds the funnel, because usually we have a pretty good reactivation rate. So it's all about filling the funnel the right way. Um, and to kind of take that a step further, as far as number of new customers we're putting into the funnel, once the funnel's optimized, um, from an ad perspective, what is that return on investment and what is that customer acquisition cost? So our main metric that we care about with ads is overall return on ad spend with a 30-day attribution window. And so we want that to be over 300% is what we're going for. So we can spend as much money as we want, but it's got to be over that 300% number. But we're usually actually doing a three-tiered approach um, where the bottom of the funnel has the highest ROI, the top of the funnel has the lowest ROI, but blended it's 300%. And then, cause the other thing you mentioned on, depending on the type of company, it's also how quickly you can recoup that investment, right? Um, versus someone bootstrapped at just starting, they might need to recoup it pretty much within the same month. Um, cause any cash they put into it, they're gonna have to get back because let's say it takes six months to recoup that you could be in the hole for month after like you'll need let's say you're spending 10k a month and it takes you six months you're gonna be in the hole for 60 before you start recouping month one right so yeah that's, that, that, that's a great point yeah it's like how much money do you have in the bank and what is the luxury you have as far as your your cash flow situation um so yeah yeah getting that reactivation rate going is is, is pretty big and that's why Attribution is such a tricky and hard game. Like you want to look at it by channel and really understand, you know, how long is it taking to activate these people? Because if you're like Koala Mattress or Casper Mattress, they're trying to activate people very quickly within like seven days because they know that window for you to buy a mattress is very short. You're moving, you, you got a new home, you got kicked out, whatever it is, you need a place to sleep and you're not buying mattresses like you're buying t-shirts. So they're so aggressive to try and get you because if not, they've lost you forever and they're just going to waste money um, on that acquisition. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, that's a good point. Understanding that, right? Of understanding how once they make that decision, is this a decision? Like I said, there's been things that they've advertised to me that in six months I've needed it versus a mattress. You buy one. It could be, I don't know, 10 years, right? Uh, however long it is. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe you should replace your mattress more often than that, but <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know the right answer. It could be a long time, basically, yeah. um, before you have to, you don't buy a mattress every year or every even four years. It's something you do it and then you're not a customer for a very, very long time. So that's a good point right there. Yeah. 
as far as attribution, are there any tips to doing that? Because that's a very, like you said, a very tricky thing to actually get right. Yeah, um, I think is it's being very clear on what that attribution window is by channel, right? And then what source you're using for measure it. Because whether it's Facebook ads, Google ads, Pinterest, um, all those platforms are going to be a little bit more generous to themselves um, as opposed to aggregating it into one. So, um, you know, for us, we're usually doing 30-day click, one-day view attribution. Uh, whenever you work with Pinterest, they're doing something a little bit longer. But I think the key thing is, and I used to make this mistake, I would blend together um, my um, customer acquisition costs with all the channels. Um, but that gets a little dangerous because you're not as disciplined in how you're allocating that money. So now we're pretty um, strict on looking at attribution by channel and being very clear on what that attribution window is, trying to keep it under 30 days. Um, and then if it's if that return on ad spends under a 2x, we'll usually pull it back or we'll do some pretty big optimizations um, to try and improve it. Yeah, having that um, separate by channel is a good one, right? Because if you blend your social ads with your SEO, the numbers are like in a total, like the numbers are just so different. They like cannot be together. Um, yeah, right. Where you basically like SEO, it's a whole different play with a whole different set of metrics behind it. Um, versus social, you know, 30 days, like, and you need to have that or else it doesn't count, basically. Yeah, it's like if someone's going to Google searching for the thing that you're selling, that needs to be held to a whole nother standard than someone on social media checking out an ex-girlfriend, you know, that, yeah. that all of a sudden like your ad. <laughs> Any other good tactics for e-commerce that you kind of, that you like is to help with growth or like what... I'm trying to think the right way of wording. Like, what are some clever things that people might not have thought of? Um, is a better way of asking that. I, I don't know if it's clever. It's been around for a while, but I don't see a lot of people doing it to the extent that they should. But it's being really smart with personalization and segmentation. Um, and it starts from the ads that you're running with the people you're trying to get in front of. So, um, like, what is the persona of these people? Are these the working professionals? They live in urban areas. Are these the people that work remotely and love traveling? Um, and so once you know who you're going after, whether it's the ad they're clicking from or the URL that they're landing on, um, based on that initial data, use that data to add value to them, right? So um, there's a tool called Write Message um, that kind of marries with your email service provider, your CRM, um, has cookie tracking or the UTMs you have, and it will customize, you know, what that landing screen looks like, what form you would have on there, the call to action. So, and we, we've seen when done right, you can kind of 3x what that initial conversion rate is for getting an email. And then knowing where they're at in their journey, like as simple as knowing that they've never made a purchase, it's their first time to buy and they add something to their cart and they're about to abandon, why are you not offering them some incentive or giving them some reason to really test this out? And whether it's using right message or using a tool like just Uno, you can take that information and, be, and give them a simple exit intent slider. It's like, hey, before you go, um, don't forget you get 20 bucks off your first purchase or whatever it is. And little things like that by using personalization on a landing page by knowing that customer's behavior and that they're a first-time customer, second-time customer, and giving them the right incentive, 
we see that have a big impact on conversion rate. And it's a really easy thing to do, but a lot of people aren't doing it in a smart way. And to kind of take that to the next level, if you can marry that data with your CRM, whether it's MailChimp, Klaviyo, or SailThrough, um, you're gonna create a much better experience for people that's based on their past behaviors. Um, so that that's something that we're, we're, we're pretty big on. Yeah, the idea of personalization, um, before right message, um, who, who's the founder of that? I remember. Uh, Brendan Dunn, Brendan Dunn. Brendan yeah. Dunn, I actually saw something yeah. from him on Twitter, actually. Um, I was actually just looking at that before we, we jumped on this call. And um, I remember, this is well before we came up with that. Um, we did something and kind of like did this whole generator and this whole thing. And it really, really helped. It took a ton to build it though at the time. And now making that so like easy. And I think it was just because when people are coming to the site, it gave like, it really like understood like who these people are based on something, um, what they were searching for, who they, where they were coming from, that sort of thing. So it was able to basically like change the wording. And this is basically right message. Um, based on like exactly who they were. So if it was an artist versus an engineer or something like that, they would describe it very differently. Um, and that was always a, that's one of those things that, again, you kind of skip over that, but it makes it really like increases the, um, the conversion rate. Oh yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's cool that you guys did that. I mean, that's exactly what we're always trying to do. Like any way we can like put someone in a category that will add value to them. We're absolutely going for that. Um, Cause like with one e-commerce brand that sells to women, um, we know like, is this a working professional that needs more workwear, Or maybe it's someone that's coming from various fitness blogs where we can push them towards our workout wear. Um, and just like educating them on not only those categories or what's that first product to get started. Cause we know they've never bought one thing from us it has such a big impact and it's, it's really not that much work to set up. You just have to be thoughtful with how you do it. And then the other thing you mentioned too, with the whole abandoned cart, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's by no means groundbreaking or innovative, but it, it actually works really well. We had, um, Dave Rosenbauer on the show a while back and he does, uh, he does that and he gave some of the numbers and it. Like, I don't, I don't have the episode number in front of me, but the numbers were like, you know, like this drastic increase on, basically you just like leave you just like totally leave money on the table if you don't use that um and dave has a great product and there's lots of people who do this but like if if you're not doing that it's almost like this like it's like not collecting email like basically taking email addresses and like deleting them like it's almost like like <laughs> you do not want to succeed you're not like like why are you not doing that and that was one of those things after hearing those numbers and then i actually went and looked it up and like these numbers are like like real like and they're really this high too so i'm like shocked what people are not doing that whole abandoned cars. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's, there's so many things you can do out of the gate that aren't that hard to set up, but it's like some people just don't know if you're doing it for the first time. It's yeah, it's just hard. Do you do anything with email marketing too? Like after the fact, is that kind of play into this or is that like not part of the equation? Yeah. Um, I, we're pretty big on that. Like I look at it a few different ways. One is it, you know, if your conversion rate is 2%, that that's, average, but there's 98% of people that aren't purchasing. So you want to get them into that email flow. So if you can get that to 10%, I mean, I think the average is five to 6%, but usually you can get to 10% and it's annoying. But if you do a giveaway, a lot of times that works. I hate giveaways, but they always win. And that helps you get that conversion rate up to 10%. So you've got them in that email flow. What are you doing to educate them to make that first purchase? So whether it's using social proof, testimonials, 
pictures of your product in the wild or if you're doing subscription, educate them on how it works and why they should do that. Um, that can really help. And so we'll do, I mean, we've tested doing 30 emails over 45 days. I've done five emails over a month. Um, and usually at the very end, if you have to, like you can throw in that promo or that thing that's your kind of last ditch effort to convert them. Um, the other flow that I think is really powerful is the first purchase flow. So right after someone has made that first purchase, that is usually when they're the most excited about your brand or your product, right? Because like, all right, I'm doing it, I'm trying it. That is the time when you can ask them to refer your product to a friend. So that's usually when you want to have an incentive that's strong enough that gets them to take that action, whether that's through emailing a friend or sharing on social. It's like, hey, thanks for getting our product. By the way, we'll give you 50% off or gift your friend a free product um, and send them this email or share it on social. Um, so based on what that incentive is, it can have a really, really big impact. Um, so um, yeah, those are things we like to. And also, if, if you have the wait list going, um, notifying people when things are in stock, um, that's that usually has the highest conversion rate out of anything we do. So you might have issues um, getting people to buy something, maybe you can have a wait list or even a wish list um, and use that as a way to reactivate them down the road. Oh, so they, so you, do you get the email address by doing that? Or, yeah. I, I've seen that before. Um, yeah. So basically if they want to like, if the product's out of stock they, or they're just not ready to buy right now, they can basically put it into some sort of like list. They create a login and then you have their email. You can tell them when that came in stock. You can also tell them, hey, the... Um, I think I've gotten emails like this before. Hey, the, the price went down by a dollar. I mean, and then you might even forgot you won in the first place, but then you're like, well, <laughs> now it's a dollar cheaper. Let's do this. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah I, I, so I've even been on the other side of that before where like you put in the wish list and you almost, and then you forget you wished for this cause it's some random site. And it was, you know, like a shirt that you wait up, you might've wanted, you might not have, but then all of a sudden they email you in a week and you're like, oh yeah, I do kind of want that. And maybe you did it when you're on your phone and you got it, you know, on the subway sort of thing, you get interrupted and then you get the email and you're actually sitting in your office and say, oh, okay, let's actually like pop up the credit card and do this. Yeah. It's like, I can do it on my desktop. It's good. And another one that works, that's kind of funny is if you can collect someone's, um, birthday in their onboarding and just sending them a note on the birthday, like, Hey, happy birthday. Here's 20% off or whatever it is. It's funny how well that one works, even for adults. I don't know if adults are still getting birthday money from their grandma or whatever, but, um, they're they're treating themselves on that day. I think we all look forward to that uh that free Starbucks that they give on your birthday. <laughs> and like yeah. you know you're gonna get that and you go to Starbucks and you get a free drink and you go, It's my birthday. Yeah. You're like, Yeah, yeah, I've earned this. I'm a gold member and like, yeah, okay. Um <laughs> but you're right. I and I know it's coming every year and I get a little excited for it. And it's like a four dollar coffee, but I I uh yeah, it's one of those things you get that <laughs> in it makes you and it makes you go. Um, yeah. And that sort of thing. So yeah, that's actually, it's something even as an adult, I feel like that birthday thing and I've gotten that too, but I'm surprised the number of companies that don't do that. Um, and the nice part about that too, is you're running a promotion, but it's not like a, um, everyone all at once. And it creates this like one time pop. It's like this sustainable thing that goes, you know, theoretically all throughout the year. Right. Once you have enough of these people, enough birthdays, people are going to have birthdays all year round. So you basically always, Every day is someone's birthday, um, most likely. And you can basically keep doing this indefinitely. So funny how it works. And that's a great point because the other thing to consider is so many e-commerce companies, you send all these newsletters and a lot of times you're like, hey, 
what's the next newsletter campaign to get them excited about. If you can set up these flows, set up these automated triggers, it takes a little bit of the pressure off of you to always have great newsletters because your flows, your transactional emails are bringing in money and they're gonna have the best engagement. Um, so whether that's the abandonment flow, the wish list, activation email, the birthday email, um, those things um, can, can help. Yeah, I like that, right? Because if you do enough of these, it's basically you could do, if, if you come up with about 12 of these, that's one a month. And then you're basically talking to people every month versus if you're really trying to come sit down every month and say, I'm going to create a newsletter. Like, you know, you see people try to do that. And like most e-commerce sites, like, what do you really have to talk about this month? Um, and unless, um, who does that really well? Like Dollar Shave Club, they somehow actually come up with something every month and they have like a comic and like this whole thing. And they send it and they actually send you in the mail, this little thing. And I don't know how they, I mean, they definitely have like a machine behind it to do that, but like the average e-commerce retailer, unless you're able to really like have a dedicated team to come up with like, what do we real like what fun things we top up this month? Like you said, having those like automated things that pretty much are constantly talking to people really help take the pressure off. And then at the same time, when they get, when you actually do want to run a sale and they get that email from you, it's not like they're saying, you know, who is this? They're saying, oh, that's a company that emailed me last month or two months ago. Like I've seen those emails. Um, because if you, the other side of it, right, is if you don't talk to them for 12 months and then you say, hey, we're going to blast everyone right now. We're running this big sale. You're going to get a lot of those unscribes and people just say, oh, yeah. like, who are you? Spam? <laughs> you know, but if you talk to them every month, people actually like, you have a relationship at that point. Yeah, no, no, a hundred percent. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a great point. But um, yeah, it, it's a lot of pressure if you don't have those automated emails set up to come up with creative newsletters every week or month if you're not launching new products at that cadence. Yeah, and that's one of those things. I feel like when people get into that, everyone starts collecting email addresses, and you know, you send out that first email newsletter, welcome my thing, and then you kind of just if if you don't have that set up ahead of time, you drop it. Um, but haven't having that like plan of going to this saying, okay, we have the birthday one, we have the uh, wish list, we have this other thing we're going to run every, like this guaranteed, I don't know, holiday one or whatever it is. Basically having like a few of these that are already like pre-planned um, mm -hmm. totally helps. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good. Okay. Yeah. I think those are definitely some good tips. Um, anything else people, if they want to find more information for find more about you, um, where should they go? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, for the book, they can just go to growthmarketersplaybook.com. Um, and obviously, I'm a marketer, so I got to throw out a promo code. Um, you can use the code Charles to get a nice little discount on it. And then um, my agency, it's just growthhit.com. Um, so you can check that out. And um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Jim W. Huffman. If anybody wants to tweet at me, um, heckle me, or just say hi, I'm around. Awesome. All right, Jim. Thanks a lot for coming on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Charles. Fun. Thank you.